The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. All right. Well, there was a story recently that caught my eye. It was about the Canadian military looking for help to take out the trash in space. Now, over the past two years, the military's Innovation for Defense Excellence and Security Program has awarded 16 contracts totaling $4.8 million to Canadian companies and university researchers to find ways to identify some of the millions of pieces of junk orbiting the Earth. Well, now it's prepared preparing to award some more contracts, looking for companies that can track the smallest bits of space junk, as well as solutions to pulling space waste of all sizes out of the Earth's orbit. So how big is the space junk problem? What's already being done about it? And what's going to happen if nothing is done? You know, just a couple of days ago, two defunct satellites narrowly missed each other high in the sky over Pittsburgh. To find out more about this issue, what's going on, we're joined by one of the world's leading authorities on this issue, Dr. Marie Baja. Here he outlines a, a part of the issue from a recent TED Talk. I am an astrodynamicist. You know, like that guy Rich Purnell in the movie The Martian? And it's my job to study and predict motion of objects in space. Currently, we track about 1% of hazardous objects on orbit. Hazardous to services like location, agriculture, banking, television and communications, and soon, very soon, even the internet itself. Now, these services are not protected from roughly half a million objects the size of a speck of paint all the way to a school bus in size. A speck of paint traveling at the right speed, impacting one of these objects could render it absolutely useless. But we can't track things as small as a speck of paint, we can only track things as small as, say, a smartphone. So of this half million objects that we should be concerned about, we can only track about 26,000 of these objects, and of these 26,000, only 2,000 actually work. Dr. Ja, as you heard, is an astrodynamicist. An aerospace engineer has received numerous awards for his work and right now is also an associate professor at the University of Texas at Austin in the Aerospace Engineering and Engineering Mechanics Department. Dr. Ja, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know what? Uh, watching your TED Talk uh, over the past couple of days and reading about this, I, I shake my head and wonder, um, with everything that's going up, why things aren't coming down and why a plan was never put in place to to clean up the crap that's up there. Yeah, I, I have to tell you that um, it's just one of those examples where humanity doesn't take enough time to pause and think about unintended consequences and the best analogy that i can come up with is uh you know the gold rush of uh you know back back in the day when people swarmed from the east coast uh you know all the hazards and traveling uh to the west coast and set up these you know mining towns wherever they could without necessarily any regard for the environment or like i said these unintended consequences of just you know blindly mining with no 
environmental protection you know rules or regulations and so we're experiencing something similar uh in near earth space so when we we heard that clip before uh we started talking with you and i was reading some articles over the past couple of days as well and we you talked about more than twenty-three thousand known man-made fragments larger than about four inches uh the smaller smaller ones the paint chip ones size ones i i think a lot of us have troubles believing that something so small could cause big damage can you explain that for us yeah, so um, really it's, it's uh, the, the, the difficult part is the relative velocity, right? So, so basically when these things, when objects shed uh, flecks of paint or these sorts of, you know, things, and they're traveling at these very high speeds, you know, about seven kilometers per second, the problem happens when uh, two of these orbital highways tend to intersect, uh, you know, mostly kind of head on. And then the relative speeds can be upwards of 14, 15 kilometers per second. And to put it in, to put it in context, the speed of a bullet is like one kilometer per second. Mm-hmm. So, so we know that a bullet is quite small, but, but causes lots of damage because of its kinetic energy, its, its velocity. And so similarly, something as small as a speck of paint traveling at you know, 15 times the speed of a bullet hitting a satellite uh, that's where lots of damage can take place. So most of this space debris sits in low Earth orbit. That's home to like the satellites and I believe the International Space Station. And even, and even though it's a big place, uh, you touched on the dangers that it poses. Um, how is it that we're not having more collisions? How is it that um, we're not hearing more about that near miss that just happened a couple of days ago? Yeah, so... Uh, Interestingly enough, um, if we if we look at things that come relatively close to each other, and if we if we define relatively close as I don't know, you know, 10, 10 kilometers from each other, um, there are a lot of those sort of crisscrossing intersections per day, many, many. But um, you know, things aren't really that large, and so the actual probability of colliding is still extremely low but it's not zero mm-hmm. and and so i think i think that that's the thing is that uh because these objects are on specific orbital highways and they're not just randomly scattered up there um the likelihood of a collision you know basically never goes to zero because you have specific highways that do intersect with each other so can you give us a little bit more idea of these orbital highways when i think of for example um in the ocean where a lot of the 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 plastic is converging those big huge areas um is this kind of the same thing that's happening in space that these these little pieces and bigger pieces get on a certain loop and that is where they get stuck well so it's more like um you know, and this is this might be kind of a strange analogy, but okay. think of yeah. So think about just uh, highways, um, highways on land, and imagine that uh, you know you're you're driving your vehicle, and when you run out of gas, instead of friction slowing you down to zero, when you run out of gas, you still keep on going kind of at the same speed, uh, but you can't you can't control your steering wheel anymore. Like the card won't respond to you. It's yep. kind of like a dead thing, but it's still moving. And basically what you do is, is you just jump onto, you, you send up a new car, somebody sends up a new car, and you just get out and you jump into the new car and you just kind of keep on going. Mm-hmm. So, 
so that's how it, it mostly is. And every once in a while, you have things that collide on those freeways, and so now you have debris that results from the collision, but it's still traveling at those speeds. Interesting. Okay, so my, my question, I was talking about the Canadian military off the top. I know you have some work of your own that you're doing as well. Um, are, are, are we just on the very, very edge of trying to start to fix this problem of cleaning up the space junk? Yeah, so, so I would say that uh, for quite some time, there have been small pockets of folks thinking about the problem, trying to develop some technologies. I would say that the European Space Agency seems to be very forward-leaning in this respect with, with you know, uh, the Clean Space Project and whatnot. But I think everybody's been mostly working in these kind of stove pipes of, of, of excellence or cylinders of excellence, mm-hmm. as I call them, and there hasn't been a whole lot of international collaboration and sharing of data to really uh, – make something much more useful out of it so it's almost like um it's almost like people concerned about climate change collecting their own data and not really distributing that and they come up with their own theories and every once in a while they'll meet at a conference and talk about their own findings but won't necessarily work together and so i think we actually need to work together, and and I think uh, more people are starting to lean that way. And one of the th- one of uh, the things that you've been talking about um, is to develop and 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 scale the f- world's first crowdsourced space traffic monitoring system. Tell us about that, and wh- how would that work? Yeah. So, in essence, um, you know, I every day when I come to work and go home, I use this app called Waze. You're probably familiar with it. Yeah, for sure. And, and the interesting thing about Waze is it's a so-called participatory sensing uh, technology, meaning people who use it can actually contribute information to it, and its value uh, kind of increases because, you know, uh, it can let other people know, hey, there's a hazard or there's a cop or there's an accident going on. And so because you have all of these independent observations there's some algorithm in the background that can also start weeding out when things may not be so accurate right so there's like strength in numbers unfortunately in space there's a lot of he said she said (laughs) you know in india blew up one of their satellites uh, around this time last year they said oh well in 45 days you know all the uh debris created from this will will have re-entered so it's no problem except that, you know, the U.S. is still allegedly tracking many objects that, uh, you know, resulted from that that are even higher than the space station. But mm. I, don't have, I don't have those sensor measurements. You don't have those sensor measurements. So, you know, uh, evidence is much stronger when it can be independently corroborated. And I don't want, I want for nothing to hide in space. That's mm. my goal. I want for everything to be transparent everything to be as predictable as possible because i think transparency and predictability helps with the sustainability of 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 a finite uh, resource uh, for long periods of time and i and i want to empower people to be able to contribute their own observations to something like a participatory network so that no single source can bias can uniquely bias or deny knowledge about what's going on in space people need to be held accountable you know for their behaviors and if it's mostly an unmonitored 
mm-hmm. domain, then people can kind of get away with whatever they want, like like the Wild West. Yeah, like social media at times, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 right. Uh, Dr. Jaw, so if people wanted to find out more, where, where do we find out more about the, the plan that, that you're proposing or the, the plans that others are proposing? Yeah, so I would say there are a couple of, of, of good places to look. Um, at the United Nations level, uh, uh, specifically this week, uh, the United Nations has a committee on peaceful uses of outer space. They meet in Vienna, uh, the, and the Science and Technology Subcommittee meets in February every year, and so they're meeting right now. So, so people could try to, uh, you know, dial into, you know, the happenings of what people are discussing at the UN level. I can also say that uh, here in the United States, the Department of Commerce uh, has been, you know, asked by the White House to lead space traffic management as a civil entity for the U.S., and so they're, you know, busily trying to get on board with that. So I would ask people to just become more uh, aware, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of space traffic, ma- you know, space traffic management as a thing and, and just see who in government is doing this stuff and really ask, ask elected officials uh, to do something about it, to extend, to extend um, environmental protection beyond just you know, oceans, atmospheres, and, and that sort of stuff, and extend it to near-Earth space, because i got to tell you, more and more of the uh, technologies that we use day-to-day rely on space-based services and capabilities, and nothing is guaranteeing the protection of those things. Yeah, and Dr. John, that's what I was going to ask you. My final question is, you know, why should people here on Earth care about space junk that they can't see, that they really don't ever or think that they won't ever have to deal with, uh, out of sight, out of mind? What happens if we don't do anything? Yeah, so I would say um, if, if all of the world's satellites you know, stopped working. And I know that that won't happen in and of itself unless, like, there's major, major, major electrical uh, malfunction due to, like, solar activity. But let's let's move beyond that, something that's not human, uh, uh, that's not natural, but uh, human-made. Um, if, if all satellites stopped working, basically position navigation and timing services globally would be gone. Most aircraft are operated with that. Mm. Uh, ships, many cars on the road, uh, Think about autonomous vehicles. Those aren't ubiquitous, but all autonomous vehicles are basically using satellite services to figure out where they're located. Banking transactions are now time-stamped with satellite system timing as well. Uh, Weather warnings, uh, all sorts of communication. The Internet itself is slowly moving to be a space-based capability. So all these things that, uh, you know, this Internet of Things and, and, and all these technologies would basically, you know, stop working, we'd have to go back several uh, decades, if not a century, um, you know, not back that far if we didn't have these things. I mean, who who remembers how to use a compass and a map these days, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a long time ago since grade 10, let me tell you. Dr. Jaw, you're giving us a lot to, th- to think about this afternoon. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your insight into this. We really appreciate it. No, and thank you so much. Take care now. Yep, cheers. Marie Bajan, Dr. Marie Bajan, joining me this afternoon. Uh, some of the, some countries out there do have uh, some ideas that they're thinking about testing out. I'll give you some details on that coming up. If you want to find out more about uh, what Dr. Marie Bajan was talking about, this plan that he has for this uh, space traffic monitoring system, you can Google um, Astriagraph, A-S-T-R-I-A-G-R-A-P-A. 
H. And if you want to check out a couple of his TED Talks, he's a fascinating speaker. Um, it, it, just Google his name, Mariba Jaw, M-O-R-I-B-A-J-A-H. Um, he is an astrodyne dynamicist, an aerospace engineer. He works at the University of Texas at Austin, one of the uh, the world's leading experts on this. We actually tried to get him on the show a couple weeks ago, but he was speaking at a big convention on this issue in Switzerland at the time. So I'm thrilled that he was able to take uh, time out of his busy day. So listen to this. A couple things. Um, computer simulations of the next 200 years, this is from a National Geographic article that I was reading on the weekend, suggests that during um, the next 200 years, debris larger than about 8 inches across will increase by 1.5 times. The smaller particles will increase even more. So it's going to get even more dirty up there, if you want to put it uh, that way. Japan's space agency is testing an electronic space whip that stretches six football fields long. It's called a electrodynamic tether. It's an electrified line nearly 2,300 feet long, capped with a 44-pound weight. When deployed, it's intended to knock debris out of orbit, sending it to burn up into Earth's atmosphere. So we'll mm, see what happens with that one. Um, other proposals include giant magnets, harpoons, and nets to safely whittle down the growing debris cloud. I remember when we had Colonel Chris Hadfield on this show talking about that. And when you've listened to him speak uh, in, 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 you know, here or at different functions, and he talks about the space debris, that little tiny, tiny little bit. He says it's like being sandblasted when you're working outside the space station. It was a fascinating perspective from a guy who's uh, witnessed it firsthand.